You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. In India, I met farmers whose crops have been literally washed away by historic flooding. In America, I have witnessed unprecedented droughts in California. In Greenland and in the Arctic, I was astonished to see that ancient glaciers are rapidly disappearing well ahead of scientific predictions. All that I have seen and learned on my journey has absolutely terrified me. So the question now is whether we will have the courage to act before it's too late. And how we answer will have a profound impact on the world that we leave behind, not just to you, but to your children and to your grandchildren. As a president, as a father, and as an American, I'm here to say we need to act. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. All right, welcome to the Ultimate Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. Hi, this is Jesse. Jesse, welcome back. Oh, thank it's you. Great it's great to have you. Oh, it's great to be back. Yeah, I know. On this news episode, it's going to be like, they never know who they're going to get. They're going to get me, and then they don't know who. It could be Jim. It could be Jesse. It could be Angie. But so thank you for – I know, I know. Thanks for coming back. She oh, uh, no She's still on holiday. She gets to go back to Florida next week, and maybe she'll fill in next Friday. I, I told her people got to hear her voice. But <laughs> uh, it's great to have you, and it's great. Jim Wine Press has been fantastic, too. So it's good to have uh, new friends helping us out on the podcast that are super knowledgeable, by the way. Oh, thank so, you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad to help out. Yeah, yeah. So just to open up this week, I have literally, Jesse, I on my phone, like, I know Google has an algorithm. Yeah. Depending on what you browse. And so they start just feeding you news articles. Mm -hmm. I, my phone has been overwhelmed because I forward myself all these emails so I can look at them and read them. I've had literally 10 stories this week that I could have picked from. Yeah. It's been a pretty busy week. I've, I've, when you asked me to do this, I kind of looked at the same thing and I take uh, screenshots of my phone when I look at stuff. And yeah, it's been quite a busy week in the wildlife world. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. It has. And I, you know, so I picked the the three that I really wanted to talk about, but before I jump into my article, I do want to give an update on the whaling situation in Iceland. Cause I saw this a couple days ago mm-hmm. and I didn't want to spend a ton of time on it. Cause I just talked about the Iceland whale hunt. So Iceland has started to hunt endangered fin whales. Mm-hmm. Just to recap, if, if people have not listened to the news, it was, two, I think it was two weeks ago. Uh, Jim and I talked about it. The, the, the company that is hunting these whales are going to turn them into nutraceuticals, basically vitamins and, and, and junk because wow. yeah, the, the whale meat market is minuscule best. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. a lot of people in Iceland actually, or the majority of Icelanders don't support the whaling industry. They still have pretty good support there though. So that, that's something to, to remember, like 40% support hunting whales, but right. this company, yeah, it's been a hiatus for two years, but they started hunting again this year and they've to date killed 21 fin whales. And just mm. this week it came out that they killed a blue whale and the blue whale is critically whale, really? in danger. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I'm bringing this up yeah. because it is infuriating. They have killed a blue whale. The experts have looked at the photos. Mm-hmm. They've identified it as a young male and they have actually. Mm. The company has responded and said, Oh no, it's not a blue whale. It's a, it's a fin whale, blue whale hybrid. Hmm. So I would, you know, like to ask, and maybe I, I can send uh, Dr. Getz an email and ask her if that's even feasible. And I'll try to make a note on that. I'm actually going on holiday tomorrow, right. but I will see if I can shoot her an email and see if, uh, I can see if that's even feasible for blue and fin whales to breed and mate. I didn't have time to to look because I would start looking at their chromosome count and seeing and if that's even uh, normal in nature. I think it's the company trying to cover themselves, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But um, you know, that's a, a an infuriating update. But like I promised, I'll I'll, I'll keep listening and keep looking out for that wow. because I think we should still continue to boycott Iceland. Let them know we're not going to spend any money there. We're not going to travel there. We until this horrific practice is stopped because killing endangered whales is just wrong, 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 wrong. It's, it's yeah, my, it, ma- it makes my no opinion. sense to yeah. to hunt something that's endangered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, especially blue whale. My God, they're they're barely recovering. We we had Doctor Getz on here. Their generation interval is so long. So you know. Anyways, it's mm. infuriating. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Jesse, my first, just moving on to the good news. This, this is a, the good news week, I yep. guess. Uh, yes, some of these stories, it's it's always not good news. Uh, hold on. Are all my stories crap? Not really. I don't know. Your stories aren't too bad. <laughs> I, I try. I try. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So my first story is it, kind of an update on the extinction crisis. And actually, Jesse, if... I don't know how many people listened to episode one. It was just me, myself, and I before Angie, you know, got plugged in. I knew we were mm-hmm. going to do the podcast together, but I just kind of wanted to do like a prelude, a, a zero episode, even though I numbered it number one and just said, Hey, this is my motivation yeah, for doing yeah. this podcast. And the, in that podcast, I talk about extinction rates. So just this week, it came out in the news that this headline is humans are causing animals and plants to go extinct 1000 times faster than their natural rate. Wow. So these are scientists. Yeah. Mm. Now, when I did that first pod, I looked into a lot of this and I've been looking at this for the last few years, the normal extinction background rate, 
like especially for mammals, is one to two per hundred years. Is that so? Okay. Is, oh, I yeah. Think it'd be a bit more. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, every every hundred years, one or two mammals should go extinct, yeah. and it 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 varies across taxa. Mm-hmm. So. Um, but I focused in on mammals and in the last hundred years, we've had close to 70 mammals go extinct. Okay. So mm. we, you know, our extinction rate has gone way up when they look across all taxa, you know, plants and all sorts of different oh, animals, right. they realize the extinct extinction rate right now, like I said, is a thousand times faster than natural rate. And so that's where they're leading to this six mass extinction or what they're calling this six mass extinction. And, you know, that's what we're trying to do yes. with this podcast. The introduction to the Anthropocene. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Is, hey, you know, this is happening. We need to come together as a, mm-hmm. a species and, and fight it. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this article talks about Sudan. We've talked about that. The last Northern white rhino, when he went extinct, they do highlight, and, and I know you could probably speak about this, especially with birds, but with amphibians, the amphibian extinction rate is 49,000 times faster than normal. Yeah, and that's them. just with one fungus. Yeah. It's just one it's, disease that's wiping out all these amphibian species. It's insane. It is It is so scary. It is so scary. Like, it's mm. not... I, I just don't understand why this isn't in the news. I just, it, it is in the news, but it's not making bigger news than it is because the amphibians are losing this many amphibians. It's just going to, it's just going to affect so much in a bad way, right? It's just for us, I think. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. So some of the things they bring up too with this is, which was interesting. I haven't, I haven't seen this twist. So this was new for me. So what they say or what they quote is like, for example, Animals with larger bodies, they're, they believe they're more extinct prone than smaller animals. Okay. That makes sense. Yep. Also, yeah, they're saying it's not occurring randomly across ecosystems, but is disproportionately affecting similar species that perform similar functions. All right. So they go on to say, given that ecosystems rely on particular groups of organisms for particular roles, such as pollination or seed dispersal, that loss of one such mm. group could cause considerable but considerable disruption. So like elephants, you know, I just go back to my favorite elephants. They're very important in seed dispersal. You know, they, they eat an acacia tree. Yep. They get some of the seeds. They digest it. But while they're digesting it, they go 60 kilometers away. They poop. In that poop, they disperse the seeds. And we know that's important in bats and all these other taxa. Oh, indeed. So, yeah, that's probably one of the most important yeah. things we need to keep nature resilient. Right. So when you start taking that out, you know, and then, then what they're saying is, okay, well, you lose that, lose that seed dispersal. Well, things that depend on those plants are going to be affected, right? So you're going to see mm-hmm. huge effects. Overall, what they're saying is this is alarming. We need to do something. We're not going to lose leaves off the tree. We're going to lose whole branches off the tree. Mm. You know, so anyways, just that is what I covered when we started this podcast. It It's there. The data is still there. So as it comes up, I'll definitely be talking about it. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, stuff, yeah huh? it's quite depressing. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. <laughs> well, what do you got? What do you got? <laughs> well, I'd like to think it's an answer. That's what I've got. 
Um, you know, a lot of okay. this, we, okay, we hear this doom and gloom when we see, you know, entire native animals disappear from island environments because of exotic species taking over development. But I, I found this article and I liked it. Um, it's a couple weeks old now, but it's, mm -hmm. it's considered an answer. And so what it is, it's a group of Australian researchers, um, that have had a th thought and they've decided to declare to the world what we're doing wrong in terms of conservation uh, and, and the current policy attempts in order to, to preserve the world, create these arbitrary goals, uh, these blind targets that say we should protect 20% of the world or we should protect, you know, 15% and, you know, we'll do this by, by a certain date. And the actual targets are 17% of terrestrial areas and 10% of marine areas by 2020, essentially in two years. Um, but where those numbers come from? Why why are we doing that? Are, are we are we throwing these numbers out the these stats out there because we think they're realistic? We think we can accomplish this. Um, and these mm -hmm, researchers mm -hmm. are arguing that we'll never accomplish these goals just because there are people that are fighting and saying, "What does this mean? Why do we have to do this?" So this answer that they're coming up with is uh, essentially looking at um, how conservation can be measured, how nature can be measured in terms of uh, providing what we need from nature and what nature needs for itself. And so there's always been this question when people are trying to protect land or protect wildlife and saying, you know, mm -hmm. how relevant is this slug mm -hmm. to our economy? You know, how relevant is this tree to, to our country? And by doing this uh, research and crunching all these numbers, um, they're essentially asking um, everybody to examine this data and say, well, this is actually needed for us because it participates in this ecosystem that provides all these ecosystem services, mm -hmm. such as um, nutrient cycling and pollination and flood protection and, and cleaning our air and cleaning our water. And these are actually critical things that we need as a society. Because if mm -hmm. nature stopped providing those ecosystem services, we would still need them. And we would look straight at technology mm -hmm. at, at providing the answer. Um, but that answer is going to come at a cost, a cost that maybe our economies right. aren't ready for because nature gave it to us for free. Um, so, yeah, it's it's suddenly this, this uh, light bulb moment in which these uh, researchers are saying, hey, Let's take a step back. Let's actually mm -hmm. answer all of our critics' answers with real data and say, yep, you know, we need this forest over here. You can't put a mine in there because it protects our, our water, our watershed. Or they can say, you know what? Go ahead and log that forest because we've got all this other forest protected. And yes, we do need to provide for our economies as well. And we can replant that forest later, do restoration efforts. Mm -hmm. Um so yeah, it's 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 a mm -hmm, really mm -hmm. big move forward, I think, in terms of what conservation needs. It it, it does, it, and it's interesting, you know, listening to you talk because yeah, I mean, the story I opened with, besides the whales, the extinction rate, right? It's not good news, right? It's horrible news. It's scary news, but it's opening some people's eyes. So then, when you have scientists like this saying, "Okay, this is happening." We're losing this biodiversity. Mm -hmm. We need to look at it as a, at a different way. Cause what I was getting out of that article 
was the current model of just saying, Hey, we're going to take 10 miles here square and put a protection around it or, you know, a hundred kilometers square and that's protected area, but you can do whatever you want outside of it. That doesn't take into consideration, yeah. right? That yeah. all, you know, so like we, we've been talking about umbrella species and, mm-hmm. and sometimes that's not always the, the best put forward. So yeah, that's, a, that's, that is, that's ambitious. Yep. Yeah. You know, and they really and, want to make it a regional focus too. They don't want to make this a very mm-hmm. global approach. They want to say, Hey, mm-hmm. look at your city. All right. Look at what your city needs in order to survive. How much agricultural land do you need? How many reservoirs and access to rivers do you need? Uh, mm-hmm. How much forest mm-hmm. do you need to recycle your air? And then look at that on a regional scale. And then you can do it on, on a bigger scale. You can do it on a smaller scale and look at all the differences in that and decide as, as a community, as a society, um, where you need to protect things. Cause it's not only about what you protect, but where you protect as well. Cause it's not going to help if, uh, in New Zealand, they protect everything on the South Island and they degrade everything on the North Island. And the major cities over here are struggling with, with air pollution and water pollution, whereas all the cities in the South Island are like, yep, we're sweet as. Yep. Yep. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, it's interesting. It's a, it's a good way to, to think, you know, and just, I know Angie and I, you know, sometimes we're like to fight for conservation, you know, let's put a dollar sign behind it. Bats yeah. in the United States, yeah. you know, four to $5 billion economic benefit of free pest control to farmers. That is a real, yeah, it's hard to argue with that benefit. Yeah, yeah. But is that what we should be talking about? You know, just putting, you know, money on, on a, on a species and say, okay, well, bats do that, but this bird doesn't. So we don't care, mm. but that's not a good answer. No, right? no, no. Cause the ecosystem <laughs> is what provides the services, not just the one little exactly. part of it, because that bat right. needs a whole, uh, you, you know, if you look at that bat, yeah. you've got to figure out then, okay, what does it take to support that bat? And mm-hmm. it might be exactly. that, you know, that, that bird does something for that bat. So if we're like, oh, we don't worry about that bird. And then we realize why are our bat numbers, you know, falling? Um, you yeah. know, it could be that for some reason that bird, um, ate some type of um, insect that could harm mm-hmm. the bat. Um, and that's the yeah. type of research yeah. we don't know uh, until, you know, everything starts degrading. Yeah, until they're gone. Yeah. We're like, oh, yeah. crap, we should not have done that. Yeah, yeah. Nature finds a way. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, we start tinkering with everything, and it's just not, it's not always a good thing. Well, uh, my next story, again, it's, it's not the best news, but it is highlighting I think again, what's going on out there. So it's good that some of this is, is making some waves. And I thought it was interesting because I, I, I would have thought killer whales were doing pretty okay mm-hmm. in the ocean, mm-hmm. but they're really not. No. And the southern resident killer whale, which I would think would be down near us, but it's actually not. That's up in the Pacific Northwest oh, right. of the United States or North America. So from Alaska down, uh, mm-hmm. but really this is the Washington, Oregon area and Vancouver, Canada. Mm-hmm. So they are listing the, that orca population as endangered. Yeah. I remember and, that from a few years ago. Yeah. yeah. The reason being, is because of Chinook salmon. Oh, so right. these, these whales primarily hunt Chinook salmon. Chinook salmon population has decreased drastically. Uh, I, I remember living, you know, I lived up there. My dad lives in Oregon. I, you know, grew up in California. Mm-hmm. Salmon were getting protected because, you know, damming up rivers and a lot of the other stuff that's happening up there with, 
you know, a sprawling. Yeah, populace. essentially, it, it took out all the ways the salmon breed. Right. Yep. Yeah. So, anyways, we're talking about trickle up, trickle down effects. Well, here's one. It's not that the whales are being hunted or boat strikes or things like that, yep. which does happen. You know, not so much the hunting, but the boat strikes and things. It's because of the decrease in salmon, you're seeing this decrease in, in orcas mm. in that area and that population. They're, they're decreasing. Also, there's a concern that Canada wants to put this oil pipeline from, I think, Alberta out to Vancouver. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's going, yeah. And it's going right through their territory or right through where these whales are. So they think that not so much maybe boat strikes, but just the noise, the increase in boat traffic, these large oh, vessels, yeah. you know, That's, if there's an oil impact, spill, yeah, yeah it's going to have a major impact on these whales. So they're arguing, you know, they're trying to get them on the Endangered Species Act and, or it is, they were listed mm-hmm. on the Endangered Species Act. So they're looking at trying to continue their protections. Again, I thought it was an interesting story because it wasn't so much, these whales being hunted. It's just that their food source was going away. Yeah. yeah. And again, it just leads into what we've just been talking about the last 20 minutes. Yeah. It's a huge you cascade know, effect. I mean, in that part of the world, yeah. there's heaps of seabirds. Their populations mm-hmm. are plummeting as well. Uh, and uh, yeah. birds like mirrors and, and, and guillemots and cormorants. Um, yeah. All their numbers are, are, are drastically dropping and yeah, there's something mm-hmm. going on in the ecosystem. And, you know, it's quite obvious that the iconic orca, uh, everybody sees that. Everybody wants to see mm-hmm. it. And then the mm-hmm. salmon, which we all like to eat, um, you know, those are going to be two big ones we focus on. But there's all this other wildlife that may not get mm-hmm. get an attention. That's yeah, it's definitely having cascading effects. There, there's yeah, more than just the um, what meets the eye for sure. Right, right. And it's like you know, talking about the boat traffic. I just this quote I wanted to read is uh, this one um, from Noah. He's uh, Lynn Bear, mm-hmm. and he writes. Just the presence of boats can cause the whales to spend less time feeding. It's harder for them to communicate, so they have to call louder and longer when boats are nearby, so they tend to avoid those areas. Mm. So, again, when you have a population that's struggling to survive, that's endangered, and you're taking away huge swaths of it, or they're avoiding certain areas, you know, I don't. they don't have time to adapt. I no, mean, these... No, don't. No. You know, if, yeah. I mean, with killer whales, too, it's like, I just remember the ones with that... that that beach themselves to get the seals. Yeah. They learn from mama. Yeah. You know, they watch mama do that over and over. They know what channels to swim up, you know, to, to get close. They know how to catch them and, and all that stuff. You know, these whales know how to catch salmon and, mm-hmm. you know, not much else. So you take that away and it's, it's, it's devastating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there used to be mm-hmm. heaps of seals in that area too. And, mm-hmm. um, there was this big, um, uh, they call it sealing. You essentially go out, you kill the seals, you sell its mm-hmm. fur, and you sell the oil. And yeah, there's probably a good chance orca were eating a lot of those seals that were in the area. But as the seals disappeared, mm-hmm. the orca were died out that could hunt them. Um, yeah, right. they lost that ability to hunt. Yeah, yeah. So again, you know, we got to continue the fight and spread awareness. You know, so. So what's next? What do you got next? Yeah, that's all you can do at this point. Um, so yeah, I've got yeah. something a bit controversial. Um, everybody's heard of palm oil, at least everybody that, that, you know, tries to pay attention to wildlife conservation. And I've got mm-hmm. an article that says how great palm oil is for conservation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yep. 
So um, a lot of people are probably asking Jesse, what are you reading? Um, and yes. this is out of the Guardian, uh, so it's it's yeah. pretty solid um, journalism there. News. Yep, and yeah. it's essentially it goes into why palm oil is bad. Uh, all this deforestation yeah. is 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 happening throughout the tropics, uh, mainly in Malaysia and Indonesia. Over 190 mm-hmm. species are already threatened with extinction, are are having worse problems because of this. Uh, and this is mm-hmm. uh, your Sumatran tigers and your orangutans and tapir and heaps of other animals. Um, the amount of palm oil plantations in the world collectively use an area that's the size of the United Kingdom. Um, hmm. That's that's a pretty decent sized yeah. area. Yeah. However, yeah, yeah. palm oil produces 35% of all the vegetable oils in the world. Mm-hmm. And it only requires 10% of the land. I know. I yeah. Know. So I that. <laughs> one ton of palm oil can be produced from just over half an acre compared to olive oil, which is one acre, uh, sunflower oil, which is three and a half acres or soybean oil, which is nearly five. So essentially palm oil is some of the most efficient vegetable oil that we can produce. And if we were to just cut out palm oil completely and all of our, our um, production lines, whether it's cosmetics or food or any or, or um, biofuels, we would essentially have to use more land and more resources to produce other types of vegetable oils. Um, and the demand of vegetable oils is actually it's going it's it's going up rapidly. It's supposed to double the amount of um, vegetable oils uh, demanded is going to double within the next thirty years. Um, so the problem is, is that, Hey, we've got this really cool vegetable oil. It works really well. We've actually found a way to put it in all of our products, but it's causing all this degradation in, in, in this big swath of the tropics. And this journal, uh, or not journal, this article kind of dug into why. And it's not yeah. so much that you're, they're just clearing habitat, but it's because these companies, are trying to be quite cheap with their production, as any company would, mm-hmm. as any household would. And so they're buying the cheapest land they can get. And mm-hmm. that means, you know, pretty much the forest that we see out there, the virgin forest or the undeveloped forest. And the land is cheap for a reason. And these mm-hmm. uh, palms, they produce low yields of oil. Right. And the reason why these companies don't go after the better land is because it's already um, used for other reasons, um, or it could be um, divided up in all these little tiny lots that are owned by various people. And it would take too much time and effort and money to buy up all of this nice land that may be degraded and not used for anything, but it takes too much effort to buy all these different parcels of land to create your oil plantation, palm oil plantation, when it's just easier to buy this really cheap land. And you know you're going to make heaps of oil anyway, Mm-hmm. But imagine if they started buying this good land that wasn't being right. used um, very efficiently or very well, um, the production could probably be a lot better and would actually right. save all this habitat that they're destroying. Um, so there are sustainable measures on making palm oil sust- sustainable, um, but it's very poorly measured. It's very poor- poorly regulated. There's a lot of companies out there um that have said, yep, I, I will be a su- uh, sustainable palm oil producer. Um, mm-hmm. but they only go so far and then they realize, um, you know, they, they've got some, some production outputs to make. And so they just go and buy out all this other land and cause deforestation because, well, mm-hmm. is that, 
Does that label really mean anything? Am I making more money because of that label? No, no, I'm not. Right, right. Um, so the struggle here is trying to find out what does it mean to be sustainable? How do we get the producers to jump onto this, make it valuable to them? And the only way we can do that is if we urge our governments to make it a big deal. Because uh, right mm-hmm. now you go to the store and palm oil's got all sorts of different names. And you yeah. look at the package and some say palm oil and some have all sorts of other names for palm oil. Um, but you can't determine which one's sustainable and which one isn't. Uh, right. You've got to do a lot of research to figure that out. And one of the easiest ways to do it is create some type of label, put it on the product if it is. And then that way we can continue to support this highly valuable crop that we actually need. Um, you know, I've gone from hearing how terrible palm oil is and saying, okay, you know, I'll listen to that. I understand that. And I'll, I'll jump onto that bandwagon to mm-hmm. doing quite a bit of reading and research myself to realize, oh, wait, um, you know, yeah. may, maybe <laughs> there's, there's a lot more to this story and I yeah. should support palm oil, but I should support truly sustainable palm oil. Right. Yeah, that's what I've heard. I've yeah. heard the sustainable isn't really that sustainable. Yep. Meaning it's, like you said, it needs better regulation. When you were talking about that, Jesse, it made me think, okay, first of all, yeah, understanding what's going on with palm oil for our listeners is awesome that that you're bringing this story up because Mm -hmm. every issue we bring up is not a black and white. I mean, you know, the whaling thing, it's, I've said it before, I don't like whaling, I'm against it, but you know, if there's sustainable populations of whales that they go out, I mean, yeah. who am I to tell other cultures how to live? Yeah. But going and killing a blue whale is a big deal to me. Like that is wrong. Mm-hmm. Fin whale to me is, is wrong. But palm oil, you know, as we understand this issue more, you know, we can find more effective ways. We vote with our dollars. That's what we constantly say in this podcast, you know, show this business is what we support. And I'll tell you, what it, what it made me really think of was dolphin safe tuna before. And, and my uncles were tuna fishermen. Yeah, so yeah. You know, it affected my family. They yeah. had to keep, you know, it was certified. They had to certify that it was dolphin safe, meaning, you know, they, the bycatch of dolphins was minuscule or, or, or none. And where before, you know, they'd go out and kill a bunch of dolphins and not even think about it, you know, they yeah, or drown, yeah, they drowned in the tuna it was nets. part of the trade. Yeah. Yeah. So, but now, you know, it's dolphin safe tuna. Yeah. So we can do sustainable palm oil. It just, if there's a big enough outcry for it, somebody's going to step in and, and take, take charge of that. So that's, that's good. That's really good. Well, that's yeah. what we could do, Don't, Chris. Let, yeah. Let's make palm oil safe orangutans. <laughs> yes. Or, or orangutan yeah. safe palm oil. That's probably what, yeah. what it should be. Not palm uh, yeah, oil you safe wanna... orangutans. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what you yeah. want, but what you, what yes, you need yes. to buy is the, is the uh, orangutan safe palm oil. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I mean, yeah, we'll just go travel Malaysia and Indonesia and, uh, yeah, give, uh, Jesse and Chris's label. It's good. Uh, well, the Cheyenne Mountain Zoo app too is <laughs> out there and I don't know how, how well it works here in New Zealand, but at least in the States, people swear by yeah there's nothing out here yet um Mm -hmm. there's another big thing about palm oil in the news uh nestle decided to say hey we can't actually run our business on just sustainable palm oil so they've actually said hey we can't be a a part of this anymore because some of our palm oil actually has to come from unstable sources and there's there's a handful of zoos and other organizations that are just dropping nestle products 
um, from yep. their um, organization as well. And Shine Mountain Zoo, uh, Zoo's Victoria, Chester yeah. Zoo, and it's it's going to have a cascade effect. Um, people I start I wasn't yeah I'm already boycotting Iceland. You know I wasn't I was boycotting them in the the World Cup. That's for sure. I mean I love them. I love Iceland. <laughs> their, their soccer team. It's a beautiful country. The people are supposed to be amazing, but you know I was a little upset with what's going on with the whaling. Now I got to boycott Nestle, which I've looked, and there's a ton of products. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Cadbury's one here, so I avoid yep. them. We get Whitaker's chocolate anyways, much better. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, I, Nestle is not one of my fan favorites, especially with this whole U.S. not against breast, uh, against breastfeeding. You know, it's just a lot of people think Nestle's behind it because they wow. produce the most baby formula. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, it's just, they're, they're not one of my, I'm not a fan of Nestle. So avoid them if you can. I'm no more Kit Kats for the boys. Sorry. Oh. I shouldn't be eating it anyways. <laughs> <laughs> All right. My next story, Jesse. Yes. One of my favorite topics. So, uh, there's a new book out on de-extinction mm-hmm. and I was debating oh, whether to yes, save this, this for is next week. a very week. favorite topic of yours. Yes. Yes. No, so, there'll be another story next week, next week Chris. <laughs> I know. I know. That's why I was like, ah, I might as well just talk about it now. So next week I have an incredible interview on Thursday and wait till our species comes out on Tuesday. The interview, we do touch upon this because this scientist who you'll find out on Tuesday who she is, she, you know, wrote an article on de-extinction and effects on conservation, things like that. So in this news article, a Swedish science journalist, Ms. Toril Kornfeldt, uh, has she went around the world and interviewed mm-hmm. scientists about their work in bringing back extinct animals? So this was mm-hmm. a, and I, I'm like debating whether to give my money or maybe if my library can get it to, <laughs> to, to support this book. I don't know yet, but I, I'm itching to read it because it seemed like it was a really positive, like de-extinction is going to be so great. And we can bring back all these species and this, that, and the other. Like they use Sudan as the example. Yeah. Uh, yeah he's been very popular yeah, in his death. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, oh, we could bring back the northern white rhino. And I know people that are working on doing that. I know them personally. You know them personally. Mm-hmm. You know, you used to work with them. Yep. And they're doing it really to save the southern white rhino who needs it. So... I just thought it was a really interesting thing. I, I, I'm interested to read this, this book. It's, you know, Jurassic World bringing back extinct animals. I, de-extinction, I'm absolutely 100% convinced now is not the answer. It is not worth the money. It is not worth the effort. We need that money to go to, you know, African elephants, Asian elephants, white rhinos, you know, the little spotted kiwi, the, you know, all blue whales, all these animals here that are still living, breathing, they need yeah. our support, not a mammoth or a, yeah. an elephant hybrid or not the Tasmanian yeah. tiger, which, you know, just went extinct a hundred years ago, but less than a hundred years ago. That's right. But, you know, there's so many animals. I Support the platypus. The platypus needs help in Australia. You know, not the Tasmanian Tiger. Actually, the uh, the Tasmanian Devils are the ones that need the help, right? Yeah, they're yeah, very close yeah. on the edge of extinction. Yeah, yeah, and we're going to cover them at some point because, oh, yeah, I saw I saw them at the Auckland Zoo. So I first time I ever saw them, I I love those pretty cool those huh? Tasmanian Devils. Yeah, oh, yeah, they're awesome. He was sleeping the whole time. You know, I, I spent two <laughs> days in Tasmania trying to look for wild Tasmanian Devils. Oh. <laughs> 
<laughs> not easy, huh? It's not easy at all. No, two whole yeah. days, two tanks of petrol, which isn't all that great for saying that. <laughs> yeah, thanks for thanks yeah, for the environment. Yeah. The environment thanks you, Jesse. Yep, and oh. and a dead wallaby that I found roadkill on the yeah. side of the road to to try yeah, to assist yeah. me, and yeah, none of that worked. <laughs> Yeah, I know. They're, they're, they're in big trouble. They have a really interesting story. I, I I think within the next, I would say 10 species we cover, that will be one of them. We got, we've got to do them. Oh, awesome. Yeah. 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 Bring in Taz, you know, the whole Looney Tune reference. That'd be great. Oh yeah. Just, yeah. They're, (laughs) they're crazy funny. They're crazy funny little animals. All right. So you had an article on my, Old stomping ground, South Carolina, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Down I can in hear the, the banjos in the background. That's right. Yeah. They've, they've <laughs> yeah. made a name for themselves recently. And yeah. the, the people. Hopefully good. Well, the people that are very yeah. <laughs> interested in South Carolina may not be the people we want to associate with. Um, yeah, they are yeah. wildlife traffickers. Um, oh, God. I know you talked yeah. about, was it last week? You talked about the poaching of a giraffe. Um, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. probably, I, I can't make this any more clear. Poaching is not isolated to Africa. I know when you hear poaching in the news, it's about Africa, it's about Asia, but poaching happens right in the Western world. It happens right in the U.S. She paid. I mean, it wasn't a poaching, but it was, it is still despicable in my mind. I just, you know, trophy hunting, but you're right. Poaching Mm, is a huge problem. Like, you know, we grew up in Florida or you grew up in Florida. I'd yeah. lived there for a while. I mean, poaching of alligators. I hear about it all the time. Oh, in the it's news. huge. Yeah. Oh, yeah. when I grew up in yeah. West Virginia, uh, poaching yeah. of deer is yeah. very common. Uh, people yeah. just don't want to follow the regulations and the regulations are there to protect the deer for everybody. So there's enough deer mm-hmm. to go around. Uh, yeah, the, the, yeah, true hunters should really detest poachers because it, it and they do. No one makes them look bad, yeah. but yeah, you're right. It it hurts them. It they, does. Yeah. Less deer tags the next year, stuff yep, like that. Yep. Um, so the big poaching that's happening in the Carolinas is reptiles. Now, who cares about snakes? Not very many people. Uh, who cares about turtles? A few. We kids. do now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Now that we don't yeah. have them, we don't have snakes and turtles yeah. in New Zealand, but uh, they are uh, disappearing at a rapid rate within the southeastern u.s and south carolina has been kind of highlighted because one it has very few wildlife regulations so very few laws around how wildlife can be collected and wildlife can be sold Mm -hmm. and not only that what few laws they have aren't even enforced because they don't have someone who actually focuses on enforcing wildlife um essentially there are dealers in south carolina now making over a hundred thousand dollars annually just by either collecting these animals from the wild and selling them to collectors or people that want to consume these animals, or they're acting as an intermediate where they're importing animals from, say, uh, Africa or or um, Asia, and they're bringing them into the States. And they're sending them out to collectors or or they're taking them from Africa and sending them mm-hmm. on to Asia because they've already have those trade routes identified. Um, and it's not just South Carolina, it's, it's Florida, it's, it's Georgia, it's, it's Alabama, it's Texas, um, Mm -hmm. anywhere where there are parts of the U S that have very little enforcement and very few Mm -hmm. laws, these wildlife track traffickers are finding a way to make these deals happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's maddening, you know, like the political climate in the United States, it gets a little maddening. When there are regulations in place to protect, you know, our wild places and wildlife for everybody, mm-hmm. not just, you know, 
conservation nuts mm -hmm. like us or, you know, people like that, but also hunters yep. or people that, that do like to, you know, I like to off-road, but I like to off-road in places where I'm not like running over turtles and other wildlife, I, you know, be respectful to the environment. Um, yep. Yep. so yeah, it's, it's kind of sad. South Carolina gets a bad rap. I love South Carolina. I loved living there. I love Charleston. <laughs> One of my favorite oh, it's beautiful towns. City, yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it's a great, great state. Uh, I loved my time there. I miss it a lot. The fall, it's just gorgeous. So mm. all of our Carolina listeners, we love you. Let's, uh, bang some heads down there and, and, and get these wildlife tracker traffickers out of the United States. You know, yep. it's just, yeah. Well, Here's something they can traffic. There was a new wasp species discovered this week. <laughs> what? So, yeah. So this one, we'll this was cool. That. Cause I, yeah, let's, <laughs> it's, well, it's a parasitic wasp too. Ooh, so let's send it all on the right. traffickers. Now we're talking about Not only is it biological yeah. warfare. All right. Continue. Yes. Yeah. That's what I used to do. Right. <laughs> uh, and so the, the headline is new wasp species with a giant stinger Ooh. discovered in Amazonia. <laughs> All right. So this wasp has a huge stinger. And I, again, I always put the pictures of the, the new species up on the show notes. It was found by uh, researchers from the University of Turku out of Finland. Mm -hmm. And they just, this is a parasitic wasp. But what this one does is it goes and stings spiders. And then the spiders paralyze and it lays its eggs. Okay. And then the larvae eat the spider erupt from the dead spider oh, maybe eat the spider story. eggs I know. <laughs> <laughs> these things are like out of a horror story yeah. and then they you know grow up and become new ones and and repeat the cycle so <laughs> but they're you know they're 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 keeping they actually probably well we we don't want to ship in species around the world because that's how we get into all these troubles of uh you know trying to mess with nature yeah you'll get the next zika problem. virus doing that yep <laughs> yeah well, it's just thinking like Guam, you know, we did the story of the fruit bats. All oh, right. Yeah, you know, yeah. Guam, you know, with the, the snakes and everything mm -hmm. that, that have been invasive there and all these native wildlife have plummeted. So now spiders are like huge on Guam. Oh, wow. Like their spider populations going through just the roof. taking over. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> they need some of these wasps over there. Jeez. But then if we do that, then we're going to bring another problem. But yeah, it's the, it's the rare Clistopagaya genus mm -hmm. and it just, yeah, I just thought it was cool that this huge stinger and it's just this parasitic wasp. It's really cool. It's really cool. So that was my new species of the week. What did you find? Um, so I actually found this one in person. Um, mm -hmm. I, I've, I've got, uh, it's, it's a bit special to me. So uh, yeah. a little bit of backstory. I, I met this, um, uh, a Dutch guy while I was traveling mm -hmm. and he had, was telling me about his research he was doing. And yeah. I didn't think too much of it at first because I'm like, oh, yeah, it's just some obscure seabird that just hangs out one of the islands off of New Zealand. And it's really interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, but the likelihood mm -hmm. of me ever seeing it's really low. So how much interest would I have in this? Um, well, the thing is, is that we, we created such a good friendship. He invited me to come see this bird. And um, what I didn't realize is that his research he was actually trying to determine if this bird that he was um, measuring and, and observing is actually a different species than we think it is. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so uh, my friend Johannes Fischer, he's a, a PhD candidate at a University of Victoria down in Wellington. And mm -hmm. he recently um, published a paper that has suggested that this population of South Georgia diving petrels 
uh, mm-hmm. down on Codfish Island, or otherwise known as uh, Fenua Ho, um, mm-hmm. is a unique species. And he named mm-hmm. it the Fenua Ho Diving Petrel. And nice. they're actually incredible little birds. Um, he calls them flying penguins uh, because mm-hmm. they waddle around like penguins on the ground. They're very good at swimming and diving, but they're terrible at walking. And so that's kind of how they get their name. But they're only about 7 inches long or 20 centimeters. Um, they're pretty much black and white. They've got a very short neck. and But they have mm-hmm. these little blue web feet that are absolutely adorable. And mm-hmm. they make this purring call when they fly around at night. Uh, that's, yep. that's really cool to hear. It's very unique. It's not something you'd expect out of a seabird. And mm-hmm. yeah, they're really, really incredible. There's only about 150 of them left. Oh, wow. Okay. They used to be found throughout the sub-Antarctic of New Zealand, um, over mm-hmm. p- potentially Macquarie Island, um, po- possibly on the mainland of the South Island. Um, but because of, um, increased, um, predation by exotic predators, um, or in competition from other seabirds, they basically disappeared except for this one population that exists on just one kilometer of sand dunes on this one little island just mm-hmm. off the coast of New Zealand. Yeah, it's kind of a, a common theme here, right? And, and yeah, uh, yeah. I don't want to give up N- next week. Next week, it, it just pay, stay tuned. Next week's going to be a good week. It's It's got some amazing stories coming out. And, you know, what's kind of going on here in New Zealand? It's, it's you know, Jesse uh, Bryn, uh, Jesse's partner mm-hmm. there here in New Zealand, uh, both work hard in conservation. They're, they're recruiting me That's to right. help them do some of this stuff. And I will be out there trudging around uh, here soon. That's right. So there the are a lot of people. Yeah, I know. I know. I got to join the army because uh, there's so many amazing people everywhere. Oh, all right, Jesse. Well, you know, it's it's looking for these good stories, but there is some good stuff out there. And it's I think we're weaving a story of, of kind of giving a, a snapshot of what's going on around the earth. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I never forget to remind myself there isn't, like I just said, people like you, like Bryn, uh, you know, researchers that were interviewing, people out in the field that were interviewing, Jim Winepress, you know, who we've had on. You know what he's doing for conservation. His his sister. He he brought up his sister a couple weeks ago, doing research in dolphins there in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of people doing a lot of good. So, you know, we're, we're just bringing this up for awareness, spreading the word, spreading education. But there is things that are getting better. So, chin up, right? <laughs> As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>